Well, hey, welcome to Sojourn. Glad you guys are uh, gathered with us this morning, whether this is your church and you are, have been here for a long time, or maybe this is your first Sunday and uh, you came with a friend or uh, someone invited you uh, out or you just kind of stumbled upon this on your own. We're just grateful that, uh, that you're here. Uh, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, uh, whether you're walking closely with Jesus or you're really questioning uh, whether God really exists or gives a rip about your life, uh, we're grateful that you're here. We want this to be a welcoming community, an environment where you can uh, continue on your spiritual journey and that we can help one another to do that. My name is Justin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, just looking forward now to get into God's word with you this morning. So if you need a copy of the Bible, would you just raise your hand? We're going to be in uh, the book of Matthew this morning and want you to have uh, God's word in your hand to be able to read along with us this morning. So just keep your hand up until until they find you, uh, and you can read along with us in Matthew. Know those Bibles are always there for you if you don't own one, uh, just to take that home with you as a gift to you. So as we get uh, into Matthew this morning, before we do that, let's just uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and uh, just having sung of your greatness, that you are great, Lord, that it's your breath in our lungs that we're able to pour out praise to you. We give you thanks that we're here this morning. We give you thanks that we're breathing this morning, that you've given us life. And and your word tells us, it reminds us that your mercies are new to us every single morning. And so this morning as we sit here, as we gather here together as your people, as your church, and probably at all different places in life right now, I pray that we would not forget that we gather in your presence and that we're here because of your grace. We're here because of your mercy towards us in Christ. And so I pray now as we open up your word that we would remember that this is your word. As Daniel reminded us, Jesus speaking directly to us. That's the case this morning as we jump into Matthew 7. These are Jesus's words to us. I pray that we would remember that this morning and the impact of that would not just be the reality of remembering that these are Jesus's words, but knowing that your Holy Spirit gives us these words and implants them in our hearts and our minds. So we pray, Father, by your Spirit, through your Son this morning, that you would open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray that you would make us more like Jesus today because we are receiving your word. So we ask for you to do that work. It's not anything that I can do. It's only a work of your Spirit. And so we plead with you to do that today for your glory and for our good. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the fun things uh, about having kids is getting to do uh, some of the things that you had fun doing when you were a kid with your kids. Uh, so for instance, my son Owen's playing baseball, and so that's been a lot of fun to be out uh, helping him play baseball, help coach his team, and just be involved in that, because I played baseball when I was a kid. So doing things like that is a lot of fun to do. And uh, I know one of the other fun things for us to do is to, to read some of the books to our kids that I read when I was a kid. So, you know, popular in our house are books like the Berenstein Bears. we reading uh, Nate the Great. Anybody, anybody Nate the Great fans? Anybody know that? Okay, so there's like a the teacher or two here that's like, yeah, I know what Nate the Great is, but uh, you should pick it up. It's good writing. Um, but Nate the Great's popular in our house. Some, another series that we uh, read occasionally is the Amelia Bedelia series. Oh, okay, we know Amelia Bedelia, <laughs> not Nate the Great. Man. So you guys know Amelia Bedelia, right? Amelia Bedelia is a maid in a house, but she has this problem. Uh, she takes everything literally, and she's unable to discern figures of speech. So a book that we had in our house recently that was checked out from the library is called Amelia Bedelia for Mayor. 
And Amelia Bedelia uh, ends up running for the office of mayor in her town. And in one scene, Mr. Rogers, uh, her employer, uh, tells her, which is honestly probably very true for our own election season that we're in, he says this to her. He says, most voters are sitting on the fence, and you know what that means? And she says, sore bottoms. (laughs) No, not sore bottoms, says Mr. Rogers. It means people haven't made up their minds. This election isn't sewn up yet. So she responds, I'll go get a needle and thread, and I'll sew it up. She doesn't understand how to discern, what, well, how do, I, how do I interpret what's being said to me? Well, today, the text we're going to get into is a text that has been interpreted and applied in a lot of different ways. And, and the initial question we really need to ask of this text is, does Jesus literally mean what he says here? Does he literally mean, how are we supposed to understand what Jesus is saying here? Because what he says almost seems too good to be true. I mean, let's go ahead and let me look at the text real quick. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 7 through 11. These are Jesus' words to us. And we're thinking that question. Does Jesus literally mean what he says? Does he say what he means? This is what Jesus says to us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already been talking about prayer. We looked at that back in chapter 6. And He's taught us about how to pray and the importance of prayer. But here He brings it up again and He says, Ask and seek and knock. And what you ask will be given. What you seek, you will find. The door that you knock on will be opened. So what are we supposed to do with this? How do we apply this to our own lives? Does Jesus literally mean what He says and say what He means here? Well, here's the quick answer, yes. Jesus isn't flippant with His words. There's never anything that Jesus communicates to you and to me that's, that's haphazard. He's very intentional, uh, perfect in what he says to us. He is the Son of God who has no sin, and so he knows exactly what he's saying here, and he means what he says. But, but the thing that you and I need to make sure that we do is, are we actually understanding what it is that he's saying to us? Do we get it? Do we understand it? And so my hope today is just to bring some understanding, bring some insight into a very important passage in the Sermon on the Mount that has very practical implications for our lives here and now as you and I seek to live life close to the King and in His kingdom. So we're going to ask and answer three questions of this text. The first is, what is Jesus saying? Our second question is, what is Jesus not saying And lastly, what we'll spend most of our time on is what does this actually mean for us in our own lives? So what is Jesus saying here? Let's just read the text again. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? In these first few verses in 7 and 8, Jesus is giving a command to His people to come to the Father with petitions, with requests. Now prayer is many different things. 
at, at the most basic level, prayer is communicating with God, having a, a relationship and a dialogue, communicating, talking with God, both verbally out loud or just within our own minds and our hearts. And, and prayer is many things because it's a time of adoration, of giving praise to God for who He is. It's communion. It's relationship with God. It's a time for confession, as we do here on Sunday mornings and hopefully throughout the week. We, we bring the things before God that we're struggling with, with sin and unbelief in our life. It's a time for thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for the many blessings that He's given to us. But it's also a time to make requests to God. And we saw this earlier in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus taught us how to pray that we should come before God and ask him to do things. And, and if you pray, if you're a person who prays, it's likely that the majority of the content of your prayer is making requests to God, asking him to do something, asking him to move and to act. And, and the good news for you and for me this morning is that Jesus is calling us to do that here. So it's not wrong for us to come before God and, and ask him for something. There's even more good news. He says that when we do that, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, God responds. So I think one of the sweetest things about this particular text that Jesus communicates to you and to me is that God hears, that God's listening, that God's attentive to your request, that God's delighting in you coming to him with these requests in your life. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, that almost seems too good to be true. Like, like really, like God really wants to do this? But, but why should we be surprised by that? I mean, Jesus gives us an example in verses 9 and 10 to help us out. He says, look, if you're a parent of a child and, and your child asks you for bread or for fish, essentially just for the basics of life, who is going to give him a stone or a serpent instead? If your kid asks you for this thing, the majority of parents, the majority, not everybody, but the majority of parents want to give good things to their children, not rocks instead of bread, not snakes instead of fish. And so Jesus drives his point home in verse 11. He says, look, so if you, a flawed person, a person who still has sin in your life, who's still selfish, who still doesn't get everything right, if you have a desire to give good things to your kids, then how much more will your perfect heavenly father give you good things when you ask him? See, what we need to see in this is that God stands ready to respond positively but we have to see the sense of these commands is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. This isn't a one-time event. We don't just come to the Father once to ask for something. There's something, there's an idea here about continual pursuit of asking and seeking and knocking. What's going on here? Are these just different ways of saying the same thing? Is, is asking, seeking, and knocking basically just three different words for the same thing? Well, kind of yes and no. As one pastor says, ask, seek, knock. If a child's father is present, he asks him for what he needs. If a child's father is somewhere in the house but not seen, he seeks his father for what he needs. If the child seeks and finds the father behind the closed door of his study, he knocks to get what he needs. Now, I, I can resonate this, with this because I have three kids, and my kids are often asking and seeking and knocking, and sometimes they don't knock, they just come into the room, right? If I'm in the, in the bedroom working on something, or in trying to study, or in the bathroom, uh, sometimes they knock, but oftentimes they just open the door. 
and come on in. And so they're, but they're seeking me out. They're coming to find me when they need something or have a question. And, and sometimes just to say, hey. I mean, my son Isaac in particular, if I'm, we have a, a porch on our a back of our house, and if it's nice outside, I'll go sit out there and work. And a lot of times when he's home, he'll just come out, and he's just like, hey, what's up? I just want to come say hi. So he, he's seeking me, but he, he knows I'm in the house somewhere, so he has to come find me. And so he's, I'm not readily available, and so he finds me, and he comes behind that closed door. So this pastor then goes on to say this. The point then seems to be that it doesn't matter whether you find God immediately close at hand, almost touchable with his nearness, or hard to see, and even with barriers between you and him, he will hear that he will give good things to you because you looked to him and not to another so, so what can we learn from what Jesus is saying here? Simply this, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, even when you find God at different levels of closeness and accessibility. And I'd imagine that throughout your spiritual life that that's been the case, that there's been times where God feels really, really close to you, and there's times where he feels really, really distant from you. But Jesus' encouragement to you and to me is to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because God is ready and wanting to listen and hear Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and it will be given. But notice what Jesus doesn't give specifics on. I think this is something we miss sometimes in this text. Something he doesn't give specifics on that's really important is is this. It will be given, but what's not given to you is a timeline. It doesn't say, ask and it'll be given to you immediately. Seek and you'll find it immediately. It just says it will be given. See, what's given here is not a timeline, but a promise. And it's a promise of future grace to you. Future grace in God's timeline. Now, we have to look at this, though, and kind of think maybe, and maybe it's just because I can be skeptical. Will all this continual asking and seeking, knocking, does, does it, what it actually communicate to me about the Father is that God is reluctant to give good things. Or that I have to keep pleading with Him in order for Him to give me good things. The simple answer to that is no, but here's why I say that. Another pastor, I think, articulates this well. He says, the reason why God's giving depends on our asking is neither because he's ignorant until we inform him, nor because he's reluctant until we persuade him. The reason has to do with us, not with him. The question is not whether he is ready to give, but whether we are ready to receive. See, God's not ignorant about what's going on in your life. He's not ignorant about what's going on in the world. He's not looking for you to give him an update on the reality of your existence or your struggles or your difficulties. He is also not reluctant and stiff-arming you, saying you have to ask this many times for me to listen to you. I think oftentimes what this pastor is getting at is it's the state of our own heart. Do we, are we ready to receive the good things that we're coming to the Father for? Are you ready to receive? Because Jesus means what he says here. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But it's also important for us to understand what Jesus is not saying here, which leads to our second question. What is Jesus not saying? See, sometimes I think we can take a text like this and we can start to, um, to see it um, support an idea that I think a lot of us can sometimes have in the back of our heads about God, and that's that he's really like kind of like a cosmic Santa Claus, right? That we just have to come to him, sit on his knee, ask him for what we really want, and he'll give it to us. And so we can start to think that if he doesn't then give us those things that we're asking for, it must mean that we haven't been good enough yet, right? I mean, that's how Santa works. 
It's on a merit system, right? You're either on the naughty list or the nice list. If you're on that naughty list, you're not getting hooked up. So you better be good. And so sometimes we can start to think of God that way. And we can take a verse like this and we can kind of twist it to support that idea of God, this view of God, that God isn't a loving father towards us as much as he's a genie in a bottle. Your wish is his command. God's obligated to do these things for you. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And this text, unfortunately, has been and can be used to support uh, what we could call a prosperity gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so in this idea of a prosperity gospel, the idea is the good news is that what Jesus came for, the most critical thing, most important thing in your life that Jesus came to live, die, be raised to new life for, is to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy, to hook you up in life. That's what the prosperity gospel preaches and teaches. And they go to verses like this in Matthew chapter 7 to support it. See, see, see what Jesus is saying right here. Just ask for it. Just seek it. Just knock on the door and it will be given to you. This is a definitive thing. The Father wants to bless you. He wants to give you good things. You want a new house? Just ask for it. You want that Range Rover Sport? Just ask for it. You want a good looking man or a good looking woman or you want to be good looking? Just ask for it. You want to never suffer in this life? Just ask for it. Name it, name it. Whatever you want, just name it and claim it to be true. Have faith that it's true and it will be given to you. That's what they say. But the problem is what happens when we ask and we don't receive it? What's their answer to that? It's because we don't have enough faith. We're not really believing that God wants to bless us in those ways. After all, James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. So it must be that you're asking the wrong way. You haven't figured out the trick yet. You, haven't, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough belief that God really wants to do this in your life. And so the issue isn't that you're asking for the wrong thing, but that you're asking in the wrong way. But is that right? Is that really what Jesus is getting at here? Absolutely not. See, this so-called prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It's a false gospel because that is not why Jesus came to live. It's not why Jesus came to die on a cross. It's not why Jesus was raised again to new life. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But unfortunately, this false gospel has become a popular gospel in our country. And unfortunately, beyond that, it's been a gospel that's been exported out of our country and imported into other countries all around the world. That's one of our... That's one of our Flagship exports as the church in America is telling people that this is what God really wants for you. And if it's a false gospel, then anyone who teaches it is a false teacher. People like Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, false teachers. It's even popular in churches in our area. There's a church nearby that on their statement of beliefs, much of what we we would agree with as a church says this, about God's will and provision. It says, it is the Father's will for believers to become whole, healthy, and successful in all areas of life. And they go on to say what that means is spiritual, mental, and emotional, physical, and financial. That's on their statement of beliefs, and it's subtle, right? I mean, it sounds okay to some degree, but really at the end of the day, it's a little truth mixed with a big lie. Because is that what Jesus died for? Is that why Jesus came? Is that what Jesus' kingdom is really about? To make you whole and healthy and successful in this life? Is that what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 7? 
Is Jesus saying that God is obligated to meet our requests or demands of him for whatever it is that we ask him? Is that what this is all about? See, the result, the result is that either this becomes a boon for us of accumulation of more stuff, more things, our own comfort and pleasure, or if we're honest, what happens probably for a lot of us is that we look at this and we just think, you know, this, this is too good to actually be true. Because we've all prayed for things, and they haven't always come to fruition. We've prayed for things and not gotten them from God. So Jesus must be misinformed here. He must be exaggerating here. Or I just don't quite measure up to the kind of person that gets the kind, these kinds of things from God. Because whenever I ask, whenever I seek, whenever I knock, there are a lot of times that I can think of even in my own life, and I'm sure that you can too, when I'm not receiving, I'm not finding, and I'm not walking through a whole lot of open doors. But see, like so many passages and texts in the Sermon on the Mount, this one is familiar to a lot of people. It's familiar to a lot of people, even if we don't know that this came from Matthew chapter 7. And even those that don't know and follow Jesus, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you've heard something like this before, and you didn't really know maybe where it came from. And that's okay. I just want you to know we're glad you're here. But whether you're familiar with this text or not, it's a text that when we rip it from its context, it gets misunderstood and misapplied. Because see, this text and its context of the king and his kingdom is not about prosperity. It's not about a name it and claim it gospel. This text and its context of the king and his kingdom is not about your personal gain and comfort. Because see, God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. He is not a genie in a bottle. He's not here to hook you up and make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. No, God is a loving and good father. He's a loving and good father. Which leads to our last question. So what does this mean for us then? See, there's two things I think we need to circle back on. Two things I think we really need to focus on if we're going to get what Jesus is really saying to us here in these few verses. And that's the content of our praying and the character of our Father See, the picture that Jesus is painting here for you and for me about prayer and about coming to the Father is a picture of perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. It's a, it's a long view of trusting in and following the King. A long view. See, I think the problem is a lot of us, we read this with these kind of cultural lenses of uh, Western culture, of Northern Virginia culture, which is just immediacy that we think, well, this has to happen today. It has to happen right now. I need this immediately. We live in a microwave culture. If we have to wait longer than a minute and a half for things to be ready in our life, we just don't know what to do with ourselves. But we have to have this long view. This is Jesus inviting you to walk with him, to be in relationship with him, a long view of following and walking with the king, not immediate. And so... Something that's really important that we can't overlook if we're going to take all of this and all that he means for us in this, as I mentioned, is just to, to see this text that it finds itself in the context of the king and the kingdom. See, this is about prayer, but it isn't just about prayer. This is about seeking and asking and knocking, but it isn't just about those things in just kind of an isolated, disconnected kind of way. Context is so important here. And really, just as a, as a rule of thumb for us in all of life, when we're studying the Bible, context is so critical. The Bible's not intended for you just to pull little things out here and there. 
It's, it's written in a certain way, and it's, it's made for us to get into it and understand the whole big picture of what's going on. So we can't forget that Jesus speaks these words when he speaks them in the midst of his larger teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus has called us to many things in the Sermon on the Mount. We're almost done with it. We're in the last chapter. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are this kind of embodied teaching of Jesus about life with the king and his kingdom. And this this inverted, this upside-down way of living compared with what the world beckons you to, what the world calls you to. But see, I think what can happen sometimes is that you and I can be tempted to take everything that Jesus says. We can even see it as good for our life. Desirable, we can see it as important, but we seek to apply it on our own. We want to be good kingdom citizens, but we miss the first beatitude that we looked at several months ago, that we are in desperate need of help to actually be faithful, to be faithful to what Jesus calls us to. So perhaps one of the reasons that you are discouraged, one of the reasons you're disillusioned in your life right now is because you're not consistently and persistently coming to the Father, pleading for faith, pleading for grace, pleading for mercy, pleading for empowerment to walk with him and live for him in this crooked and messed up world that you find yourself in. See, this is about, this is about praying with a burning passion and pursuit of God to get more of him, to become more of who he is calling us to be, to come close to the king. See, the focus of what Jesus is saying here is not about the things you want, for, want or need. And again, it's okay to pray about those things, right? We can pray for our daily provision. Jesus has told us about that earlier in Matthew chapter, chapter 6. But here, here in chapter 7, what he's calling us to here is to consistently and persistently ask for God to do in you what he's calling you to be to seek God himself, to knock on the door of heaven, to experience more and more of God's power and presence in your life. As one scholar says, the kingdom of heaven requires poverty of spirit, purity of heart, truth, compassion, a non-retaliatory spirit, a life of integrity, and we lack all of these things. Then let us ask for them. Let us come to God and ask for those kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, if you assess your life, if you just take an evaluation of your own life and allow God's word to interpret your life, if, you, if you're listening to Jesus' words to you as we walk through this series on the kingdom of God and you recognize that you're lacking in any of these kingdom characteristics that Jesus is calling you to, which the reality for you and for me is that we are. There's nobody sitting in this room this morning that can go through the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount and say, nailed it, got it. It's locked down. It's solid. No, we read through this and we, we feel conviction. We, we hear the Spirit speaking to us saying, hey, you're not walking with the King in this way in this particular area. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe, that you don't, maybe you have a critical spirit like we talked about last week. It could be so many variety of things that you're finding your hope in the things of this world. Whatever it is, when we come to that and we recognize that we're lacking, what Jesus is calling us to is to plead and pray for him by his spirit to give these things to you, to bring them about in your heart, to manifest them in your life. See, in some ways, this act of praying for these kinds of things, these specific kingdom characteristics, all of the Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew 5, 
to, to love God more than we love money and stuff, to be forgiving and gracious, to not be judgmental, to not have a critical spirit, to pray to the Father for these things, to ask, to seek, and to knock that he would transform you in these kinds of ways is in itself a step of repentance and faith. And that's all that God's calling you to from a day-to-day basis is to continue to walk in repentance and faith. Repentance of turning away from where you've pursued the kingdoms of this world, the little kingdoms that we all seek to build up in our own lives and to turn in faith to Jesus once more. Because when we start to pray for these kinds of things, what we're doing is acknowledging our need for Jesus and more grace once again. See, what Jesus is doing here is what Jesus has done through this whole entire sermon. He's calling you and me to orient our whole life around him. Our whole life around him. Because the reality is you're going to fail and falter at times. But he is still faithful. And and the reality is, is that life is going to be really difficult sometimes. And maybe you're experiencing that right now, but know that he is faithful And so when we come to him in honest and humble asking and seeking and knocking, what Jesus is telling us, what he's reminding us of, is that he is faithful to give us what we ask for. More of him, more of Jesus, more of the Spirit, more of grace. He is enough. He's enough. And so we can come and pray like the psalmist prays in Psalm 73, though my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In you, is life. In you is hope. In you there is peace. God, help me. Help me. Is that the kind of asking and seeking and knocking we're coming with? Because see, too often I think the reality is, is the content of our prayers is about the other stuff. The majority of it, our wants and our desires, which again, it's okay to pray for those things, but are we pleading with the same kind of vigor? Are we pleading with the same intensity that God would mold and shape us into the kingdom people he is calling us to be in the good times and in the mundane times and in the really, really difficult times in life? Do we pray with that enthusiasm? Do we pray with that longing? Like my kids seeking after me, if they're asking for me, they're seeking, they're knocking, they're busting through doors. Are we doing that when we come to the Father and say, God, I want to be more like Christ. I want to exemplify these characteristics of the kingdom. I'm desperate for your help. Now, I say all this to you this morning. I'm not, saying, well, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty about what you pray about because the reality for my own life is that I can struggle with this too, that the majority of the content of my prayer is not praying always about these kinds of things. So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I want to compel you and I want to compel me that we get to come to the Father and ask him to do these kinds of things in our lives. And he is pleased. He's excited. He's enthusiastic about giving you these things that would compel us to come to him, that we'd have an obsession about being in the presence of God. It would so grip us because the reality is sometimes that's all we have. See, what we have to see here is this is a command from Jesus, but it's really an invitation to you. It's an invitation to come to the Father, inviting you into his presence to ask him to do these kinds of things. See, sometimes I forget who God is and I can believe that he's reluctant to transform and change me to be who he's called me to be. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. You're hearing this this morning and you're like, dude, thanks, but I've prayed about these things a hundred times and nothing seems to change. 
I've prayed over and over again that God would make me more patient with my kids. I've prayed over and over again that God would make me more gracious towards my spouse. I've prayed over and over again that he would help me to truly love him more than things in this world. I've prayed over and over again to get rid of anger, to get rid of lust, to get rid of pride, and it just seems like he doesn't hear me because nothing seems to change. But this really gets to the heart of the second thing that we need to grasp if we're going to apply Jesus' words and truly make them our own and take up this invitation. Your comfort and consistency in asking and seeking and knocking depends greatly on who God is. It depends greatly on who God is, a good father. See, if we go back and look at the illustration that Jesus gives in verses 9 and 10 and the truth that Jesus drives home in verse 11, we see this kind of praying, this consistent asking and seeking and knocking for God to make us more and more like Jesus. It's anchored in God's goodness. It's anchored in his goodness. My kids come to me again all the time to ask for things. They seek me out. They knock on doors. And and I want them to do that. I want my kids to come to me and not to other people, other things. So I want them to do that. But when I listen to their requests, I'm always doing something. I'm filtering. I'm filtering the requests. Because they might think that something is the best for them. But as their dad, I believe I know what's best for them. And so when they ask for something they think is good, another piece of candy or another TV show or whatever it happens to be, I might say no, because I don't believe that's what's best for them. So sometimes that means withholding. Sometimes it means saying no, or sometimes it means helping them to see that there's something better for them. There's something better for them that's coming. But here's the deal. I'm an imperfect dad. I don't get it right all the time. I'm selfish. I can get irritated. I can get frustrated with my kids and they're asking. And I can not always do what's in their best interest. Earthly dads make mistakes. And some of you know that all too well. You, you hear this and you think, well, hey, this is comparing a good father, uh, a good earthly father with the heavenly father, but my dad wasn't like that. He did not have a desire. He would have been the dad that gave me a stone or a snake instead of bread or fish. And so if that's you this morning, Don't miss the picture of the Father that Jesus is painting for you. Because see, our perfect, good, heavenly Father makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes in your life. He knows every detail of your life, every intricate thing that's going on in your life right now, and there's nothing that He is allowing into your life that's a mistake that He doesn't know, that He's uninformed. He doesn't give you too much, and He doesn't give you too little. He gives you exactly what you need But see, the problem for you and for me is that it's so easy to be satisfied by lesser things. See, God, if if what you're doing right now is the good thing, I'm fine with this other thing because that sounds a whole lot better to me right now. And so sometimes we're satisfied with lesser things than what the Father wants for us. But remember, we have to remember that he wants to give good things to you, not serpents, not stones. So we can ask and seek and knock and plead with him to make us more like Christ, to give us these good things. He's inviting us to do that. Don't forget this truth. God is committed to your joy. He's committed to your joy. Not to your temporal happiness, but your eternal reality of finding joy and satisfaction in him and him alone. But see, I know sometimes this doesn't make sense to us because sometimes we have no idea what in the world God is up to. We, we can believe all these things or want to believe them, but the reality of our life is we just don't know. See, for a lot of us, I think sometimes our hope sustains our praying. 
right? We have a hope in God, and so that motivates us to pray, where it sustains our praying, but sometimes hope lags behind. And so praying can seem like a chore. It can seem like a difficult thing to do because we don't have a whole lot of hope. It lags behind that. God, will you hear me? God, will you answer me? Will you help me out? There's a new song out by the band King's Kaleidoscope in the middle of the chorus. It says, Jesus, where are you? Am I still beside you? Jesus, where are you? It just repeats it over and over and over again. Have you felt like that before? Do you really care, God? What in the world are you doing right now? The Apostle Paul can relate to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's being autobiographical. He's sharing, really the whole book of 2 Corinthians is like that, but in this particular text, he gets really personal. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited and proud. He says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. And catch this, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I pleaded, I asked, I was seeking, I was knocking for God to to take this from me, but he said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, that's not the mantra of Northern Virginia, is it? When I am weak, then I am strong. No, Paul says, no, I've pleaded, I've asked, but God, what he said to me is, no, I have something better for you. I have something better for you, and that involves this thorn remaining in your flesh. See, sometimes we pray for God to do something that we think will help us to be more like Jesus. We honestly do pray for that, but sometimes it might be that God is already doing something in your life to make you more like Jesus. And that might be allowing suffering or difficulty or something else. Something else that he's not going to answer your prayer the way that you want him to. Now, that doesn't mean to stop praying, but to continue to earnestly seek the one you're praying to. See, Jesus is calling us as his kingdom people to keep praying because of who we are praying to. It's his power that's made perfect in your weakness. John Piper is a pastor, uh, I guess former pastor. He retired recently uh, from pastoral ministry, but uh, up in Minneapolis. And he tweeted something out a few years ago, and maybe you've heard this before. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Man, isn't that so true and so good to remember that? This is the God of the universe we're talking about. He could be doing so many things that you can never see, so many things that you will never see. And maybe you know about one, two, three things. You're like, oh, I know what God's up to. I can see it. I see this right here. Then we like to put God in a box. We like to think we know. We, we kind of try to anticipate what he's doing, but we miss the reality that he could be doing 10,000 things, 100,000 things in your life. And it may take all of eternity for him to explain all of that to you. But if you knew all 10,000 things, I really and honestly believe you would say, God, thank you for what I'm in right now. Thank you for what's going on in my life right now. Thank you that I got dumped again. Thank you for the difficulty in my marriage right now. Thank you for the suffering and the sickness and the disease I have right now. If we were able to see those 10,000 things. But you're not God, and neither am I. 
And in God's grace and kindness, he doesn't allow us to see all those things. I mean, this world is insane, right? We have an election coming up. It's insane. I think we're honestly like, yeah, it'd be nice to just rejoin the UK. That sounds really good right now. I mean, it's just crazy, right? But the, the world is always throwing things at you to, to, to try and tamp down and, and, and uh, kind of squelch the insanity of this world. It's constantly telling you, this is the way to get rid of the insanity in your life. This is the way to get rid of the insanity in this world right now. But see, what Jesus is doing here, what he's inviting his kingdom people to do, people who live in this upside-down, inverted kingdom, the surest and simplest way is to come humbly before your God in the midst of the storms of life, to come humbly before your God in the midst of the mundane moments in your life, in the midst of when things seem calm and when they're insane, and to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. To take shelter in the shadow of his wings, the wings of your gracious and loving and caring Father. We can't forget the significance of who we're praying to. We can't forget the significance that Jesus is calling us and reminding us that God is our Father. This is not a throwaway term. It's not a religious term to call God Father. Jesus alone is the one that authorizes and enables you and me to come to God in this way as our Father and as His children. See, the reason you can ask, the reason you can be confident that God will answer and make you more like His Son is because you've been adopted as His child through His Son. Jesus Christ came to us as one of us to rescue us through His perfect life, His sacrificial death in your place, His glorious resurrection. You have been set free from sin. You have been set free from your brokenness and your shame. You once were a stranger with no hope in this world, but God, being rich in mercy, made a way for you to be brought in to his family through his son to give you peace, to make you one of his own. That is grace. And it's by faith that we can receive that grace to no longer be orphans, but beloved children with a good father, a perfect father. And do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Have you experienced new life in Christ? Have you truly trusted in, the, in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection for you? Is God truly your father? See, we can come to God with all of our needs, but we can never forget that God has met our most ultimate need at great personal cost to himself. If we doubt God's goodness towards us, we just have to go back and remember that. And so now everyone who prays to the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, will receive. Not after you get yourself cleaned up. This isn't about asking and seeking, knocking once you've figured your life out. Let's not miss the whole point of your asking and seeking and knocking is the fact that your life is a giant mess right now. God's not withholding from you until you figure things out on your own. It's coming to Him in all honesty and realness and saying, God, would you work in me? I'm pleading for you to do this. Man, I praise God that he's not like Santa Claus. That he's a giver of grace and good things. He's committed to make us more like his son, to help us to be who he's called us to be as his kingdom people here and now. Not based on anything that I do in myself. Not because I made it onto his good list. Because he's a lavisher of grace and good things. Because the good work he began in you, he promises to bring it to completion. Sojourn, Jesus didn't come to live and die and be raised to new life for you to be healthy and wealthy and comfortable. 
He came to rescue and restore you. He came to reconcile and renew you. He came to save you and transform you. And so I want us to be a praying people, a people who are are pleading with God, full of faith that God not only hears us, but is eager to answer us and do that good work in us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the author of Hebrews says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So do you believe that God exists, that he is near, that he's a rewarder, that he's good? Are you ready to receive? Let's become a praying people together who are asking and seeking and knocking and who expect. Expect, because we know that we have a good father who delights in giving good things, the best things to his children, namely himself. We're going to come to the communion table now, and we come to this table every week. And as we come to this table, we get a glimpse into the goodness of our Father. We get a glimpse into it, a Father who longs to bless us, because in this meal, we're reminded of what He gave to rescue you. The bread is a symbol of the fact that Christ's body was broken for you. The, the cup is a, is a picture, a symbol of Christ's blood shed for you. It's a meal that refreshes our souls. It declares that God is not done with you yet and His grace is sufficient for you. It's a meal that declares that we have a good Father who's already given us what we most need. So I just want to invite you to come to the table this morning and come asking, come seeking, come knocking, and eat and drink in grace today. For God is good and His love for you endures forever. Those of you that are not they're not followers of Christ. I just ask you not to come forward this morning. And, and the reason for that is because this meal doesn't make you a child of God. It's a picture of the fact that you already are a child of God. And so if you don't yet know God, if you haven't yet confessed your need for Jesus, I just want to ask you to stay in your seat and maybe do that today. If you're ready to start that relationship with God, to be forgiven of your sin and made new, you can sit in your seat and just pray that to God, that you want that to happen, that you, that you recognize your need for Jesus. That this is the kind of father that wants to mold you and shape you and make you more like his son here and now and will be with you forever. And so if you want to start that relationship with Christ, pray, ask him to do that uh, as you sit in your seat. And, and after the service, if you have more questions or you want to talk more about that, just come talk to me or anybody else that brought you here this morning. We'd love uh, to walk with you in that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables in the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take one of the small cups to drink, and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today just asking, seeking, and knocking for more of you. Would you give us more of yourself, God? Would you help us to see and savor you, to know that satisfaction comes in you and not the things of this world? Father, would you help us to be a praying people that the, with the same vigor that we ask for you to provide for us, that you would, we would ask with the same vigor and intensity that you would mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus and, and that we would trust you that when that doesn't happen in the right way or the way that we think is the right way or the quickest way or the most efficient way, that we would trust you, that we would trust that you're good, that we would trust that you care about us and that you will bring the good work you began in us to completion. But Lord, may that just compel us all the more to be close to you, to keep asking and seeking and knocking, knowing that you're a father who wants to give good things. 
Father, would you mold and shape us as a body to help one another, remind one another of that reality, and pray with and for one another for these kinds of things. Father, we thank you that you are a good father, a good father who sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sin and be raised to new life that we might overcome sin and have new life. We praise you, we love you, we thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.